Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Travis Hornsby is my guest today. He is a chartered financial analyst and the founder of Student Loan Planner, a company that helps analyze the best repayment paths for people with significant student debt. And as we all know, we lawyers are among those with that huge student debt that can really start to feel like a prison sentence. Travis gets into a lot of detail about strategies that will help you manage the loans without having to be stuck in a job you hate. This sort of necessarily means getting into quite a bit of math, and it's a very complicated system, but please don't be turned off. I think Travis does a really good job of outlining the basic principles. Obviously, each person's going to need to think through how these strategies would work for them and their unique circumstances, but if you take nothing else away, just know that there are resources to be leveraged, and you don't have to be a slave to your student debt. Hi, Travis. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me, Megan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's going to be a really helpful conversation for a lot of people. Um, So why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about your background and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I'm just going to say some crazy stuff right away. So I actually (laughs) retired at 25, and I used to be a bond trader and saved a bunch of money and decided, okay, I've learned about this financial independence movement, and so I'm going to save 70-something percent, 80% of my pay, and I'm going to stop working. And uh, I did that several years ago, and it freaked out my parents and friends and pretty much everybody (laughs) that knew them, right? I I wasn't a millionaire. Like, it wasn't like I had come into, like, some sort of secret, you know, gold stash, you know, in my in the basement or something like I had just had a very, very low level of expenses. And so, you know, you need 25 times the, that level of expenses to stop working. I wasn't fully there, but I yeah. was there enough that I felt like I could quit my job and travel the world and, and, and not have to work for a while. Right. Yeah. And the funny thing is I bought a one-way ticket to Iceland for like 99 bucks because of some Facebook ad. Right. Cause I was yeah. just so through, I was so tired of my corporate existence. And right after I did that, I met the woman who's now my wife. Ah. And ex- the, the issue was, is I was planning this early retirement, ultra low expense, nomadic lifestyle, and she was in medicine. Right. And so that's not a very, you know, mobile, go anywhere kind of lifestyle for a surgeon, right? Right. And, you know, I was still wanting to help people. I was blogging, you know, rather broadly about personal finance topics when I was quote unquote early retired. Mm-hmm. And then my bond trading past basically fit in perfectly with making a student loan plan for my then girlfriend, now wife, because she had six figures. And a lot of your listeners probably owe six figures of law school debt, right? Yeah. Yes. And there's a lot of different ways you can pay it back. You can pay based on your income. You can pay, you know, with a refinancing strategy, you can just pay the government back directly. Sometimes parents or family members might try to buy your loan out. There's all kinds of weird stuff that goes on with this. Mm-hmm. And what I found was it was way more complicated than I thought it was going to be, where you just put something into a spreadsheet roll in you know, 10 seconds, just figure out what the monthly payment is, right? Right. It's not like credit card debt. It's not like car debt. It's not like your mortgage. You know, it's, it's money that's owed because of your education. It's like a mortgage on your brain, except... Yeah. As bad as that sounds, there's also protections and different repayment options for student loans that exist for that specific category of debt that don't exist for anything else that makes student loan debt one of the things that should hold you back the least in doing what you want to do. So, you know, my after I helped my wife out, she's like, wow, you should help our friends who are lawyers or physicians or dentists or veterinarians that also have tons of student loan debt with this kind of plan you made for me. And so... Yeah. I started helping out a couple friends kind of on a part-time basis and then realized, you know, I really like this and this is something that I would, you know, do and be passionate about. 
And so let's see if I can make this a real business. And so that was three years ago. And, uh, and Student Loan Planner today is closing in on advising a billion dollars of student loans, which kind of by default makes us the biggest group that helps people with student loan debt in the country. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, because I think there are so many people who, you know, you said it shouldn't be the thing that holds you back the most, but I think, I think in a lot of people's minds, it absolutely is the thing that's holding them back. Um, but so you've worked with a lot of lawyers in the past. What are, I mean, I get a sense of what the concerns are, but what are the concerns and challenges that they come to you with around their loan management? Sure. I mean, we've, we've worked with hundreds of attorneys and the average debt, I'm just going to say it, right? So, yeah. you know, if the people listening are like, oh, I owe more than that, like, you know, at least, you know, this episode's going to be super relevant for you, right? And if you owe less than that, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I owe less. So yeah. our, our average is 223778 So that's yeah. the average student loan debt for the attorneys that we've helped. Now, that's probably above the average for lawyers overall, right? Because a lot of people right. go to state schools, a lot of people, you know, maybe have some scholarships, that kind of thing. But that's a very large debt, especially when you consider that, you know, lawyer salaries are really kind of bimodal, right? You've got the people making 60 to 100K, you know, and then you've got the big law people making the bigger salaries. And then maybe you could even say trimodal because you have the public interest lawyers that might be making even less than that, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And so your podcast is kind of like for people who are trying to escape the legal rat race. Is that fair? Yes. (laughs) So, so this is the kind of the mind blowing kind of thought process. So people either have one of two kinds of student loan debt, if it, you know, if it's not like a parent loan or something, right? Like, you know, your family took it over and you're paying back grandma, right? Yeah. There's, besides that, there's two kinds of student loan debt. There's federal and then there's private. So most of your listeners are going to have federal. That's the mm-hmm. most common kind of student debt, you know? And everybody in the world thinks that you have to pay your debt back. That's actually only true if you have private student loans. If you have private student loans, no if and if ands or buts about it, that does have to get paid down to zero, yeah. right? But let's think about this debt for a second. So a federal student loan debt. Let's say you've got two hundred thousand dollars student loan debt as a lawyer. So what would you what would you guess, Megan, is like the typical income for for your community? You know, like you said, it, I think there are multiple categories. You know, if you're if you're an associate in a New York law firm, you're making probably over 200,000 a year, right. you know, but there are certainly lawyers at smaller firms and smaller markets who are, you know, probably making under a hundred. So, you know, there is, there is a range for sure. Right. Right. So, so yes, yeah, so let's, let's say that you, you know, went to Georgetown law school and you've got like 300,000 of student loans and you're a New York associate making, you know, you know, 200 ish thousand, right. So yeah. first or second year associate, something like that. Um, so let's say that you hate your job right now, you know, like you, you come again, yeah. you're doing all these 80 hour weeks and you're like, what's the point? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So, <laughs> Which so I you, think is a large percentage of the people who listen right. to Yeah. You're like, oh, that's really nice. Yeah. high paying job sounded great until I show up every day for work and, and miserable. Right. So there's yeah. certainly a lot of people like that. And I would say that's probably like maybe 10 to 20% of our lawyer clients have been big law escapees. Right. They've okay. been trying to get out of big law specifically. And there's there's two ways to kind of do that. There there is a, a path that just says refinance your student loans to a five year variable rate to like a two percent and then mm-hmm. throw, you know, at least two percent of what you owe at your loans every single month. But if you want to be done as fast as possible, maybe throw, you know, every bit of discretionary income at your loans and be totally done. That is that is a path. But yeah. that that's a path that's you know, can maybe keep somebody in a miserable situation for three years. And I don't believe in that personally. So if you're yeah. miserable, you owe it to yourself to go out and see what other options that you, that you have. So here's an example. So you've got the 300000 of debt and 200000 of income. But let's say that your passion is in, um, let's just say, oh, I don't know, what's, what's a good example? Some sort of, would you say it's some entirely different industry? Or, uh, or what, what would you think that that person would most commonly want to escape to, Megan? Yeah, let's ju- just because I just interviewed someone. Let's say someone wants to go into photography. Yeah, <laughs> like totally different. Yeah, so photography is a small business, which means that when you buy your camera or your equipment or anything like that, you can write those expenses off against your income, right? So mm-hmm. 
your photography, let's say that you're going the path of least resistance with being a photographer and you're just going to start out doing weddings, you know, because that's just an easy way to make some extra cash, right? Maybe you're doing weddings and, you know, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs in New York or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and you're making, you know, 40, 50,000. So after all of your equipment is, is paid for, you can write that off on your income. So maybe you're, you know, you're like 30,000 net. And so what you can do is pay your student loans as a percentage of your income. And mm-hmm. a lot of people feel like that's a cop-out. Uh, honestly, a lot of people sign up for an income-based repayment program just because they can't afford to make the regular payments. And they're like, right. well, I'm not paying 3000 which is what they're going to tell me to pay on a $300,000 loan. So I'm just going to pay whatever my IBR payment is, right? Mm-hmm. But that's an example of people that aren't really thinking about a plan. They're just kind of like swimming, right? They're, right. Trying to, they're trying to not drown versus trying to get to a specific island where they can get on the beach and not have to swim anymore. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. That's the analogy there. So if you're making 30000 as a photographer, so what you can do is be on a plan like pay as you earn. And what does that do for your payments? So remember, if you're in big law, you're having to pay $3,000 a month to pay it off in 10 years or 6000 a month to pay it off in five. Yep. And, and so instead of that, if you're on pay as you earn on your $30,000 income, you're going to get a deduction of 150% of the poverty line. So for a single person, that works out to about 20 grand. So that means mm-hmm. your 30K income, you get a deduction first of about 20. So you've got about $10,000 income left over and you're now paying 10% of $10,000 monthly. So you're going to, that's, you know, so $10,000 times 10%, that's a thousand bucks. And then divide that over the course of 12 months and you're right. at about $80 a month. So instead of paying, you know, $3,000 a month, you're paying $80 a month. Now you might say, well, that's fine. Like that just cuts my payment, but how is that a plan? Right? Yeah. That was and good. I was like, yes, but presumably you then carry that much debt for that much longer. Right. Right. So here's how that works. So your $300,000 debt grows because you're paying a small amount. And, and here's a big misconception. So for all the folks listening that are going for some sort of loan forgiveness plan, if you're correctly making payments, like if you're not skipping payments, then your balance actually grows with a rate of simple interest. So you might mm-hmm. have heard compounding interest, right? That's a really bad thing if you have debt because it's going the wrong way against you. Right. But with compounding student loans, even if it's a 7%, might feel like it's a lot of debt, but it's actually growing at a rate of simple interest, which means that's really kind of roughly equivalent to inflation just because inflation compounds and student loan interest does not. So it looks mm-hmm. really bad. 7% looks awful. But in reality, your debt is going to probably about double over the course of 20 years. So instead of $300,000 of debt, you'd probably owe about $600,000 at the end of 20 years. Now, that sounds bad. Yeah, it does. (laughs) But in reality, people aren't thinking about inflation, right? And salaries, cost of living, everything goes up with the cost of inflation. So remember I said that the the interest rate kind of works out to about the same as inflation. So in other words, your 600K of debt in 20 years is really kind of like 300 today, which is what you started with. And that's just because right. of the purchasing power of money. So, so right. you, don't have to, you don't have to freak out that your debt's getting any bigger. It's kind of staying flat, right? Okay. And so that's one point. And so what happens when the debt's forgiven? Well, there's a nonprofit and government loan forgiveness program called Public Service Loan Forgiveness that we can talk about in a second. But we're just mm-hmm. going to stick to the photographer example because it's, it's great because the photographer is not going to be, you know, a nonprofit. They're going to have their own business, right? And, right? and that highlights this form of loan forgiveness that most lawyers or ex-lawyers could qualify for regardless of what you're doing. So that's IDR forgiveness, income-driven repayment forgiveness. And so one example of that is this pay-as-you-earn plan. And so, you know, in terms of like today's dollars, remember I said that the loan amount really didn't change that much. It's about the same. Yeah. So what is your tax rate now? What, what amount of taxes would you have to pay on 300K if it was forgiven? you know, in the future, right? So what we would kind of plan for that is probably a 40% tax hit because this yeah. debt is forgiven and you have to pay income taxes on it if you're not in a not-for-profit or government job, okay? okay? So that's the catch, but what is this catch? So you have to pay $120,000 all at once 20 years from now. And okay. what happens there? And sorry, that- forgive my, my ignorance though, just just to clarify that, that mm-hmm. this, 
the program is that after 20 years, it's forgiven if you correct. And is there any, what does someone have to do to be enrolled in that program? All you got to do is make a payment based on your income and in, in an income driven repayment program. Specifically, this one I'm talking about is pay as you okay. earn, right? Okay. And, and there's other programs. Unfortunately, the system is complicated, but there's beauty in the complexity because it gives people options and you just have to know the rules to know your options. You know, right. It'd be kind of like, you know, a lawyer representing somebody and there's some sort of obscure case that could help your client. And, you know, they're only going to benefit if you're aware of it. Right. 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 Um, so it's kind of like that for student loans. So this particular payment plan gives you the option to pay this one time tax hit 20 years from now of about, you know, 120K in today's dollars. So you've yeah. got 300,000 in student loans. You're paying $80 a month. So let's pretend that that goes on for 20 years. So your bank's basically yeah. paying almost nothing. And then right. you're paying that 120K years from now. And so if you kind of think about the cost of that, you're essentially dealing with your loans for about maybe one third of the cost of what you actually have. Right, right. right? And so how do you prepare for a hit like that? How are you going to pay a huge tax hit at the end of 20 years when you're just making nothing, you know, as a photographer doing your passion instead of being a lawyer? So, you know, yeah, you've got your $30,000 of, of net income, right? Mm-hmm. All you've got to do is put a, probably a couple hundred to a few hundred dollars a month away into mutual funds. So I tend to suggest people use Vanguard index funds because they're the cheapest and they're really easy to, to use long term. Mm-hmm. So you literally just put your money into, you know, Vanguard index funds like the total stock market fund and the total international stock market fund. Don't worry about the balance. You just set up a recurring transfer from your bank account for like maybe, you know, a hundred a month into each mutual fund. And yeah. there's a decent chance that you're going to have enough to pay that tax hit with. Now, in reality, there's something called insolvency. And so the IRS has actually taxed forgiven debt for a long time. And the reason for that is because it's kind of complicated, but people like will make loans to themselves from their businesses all, all kinds of ways, right? And so if yeah. they don't have any kind of taxation for forgiven debt, then there would be some loopholes that people could take advantage of. But right. you know, the IRS is not trying to hit people that are down and out, which is why there's this thing called the insolvency rule that basically says if your assets are smaller than your liabilities when you have forgiven debt, then the debt's forgiven tax-free. Right? Oh, wow. So all you do is you talk to your CPA, they make a declaration of insolvency, and the debt's wiped away tax-free. I think it's going to be even simpler than that when these loans are forgiven. I think they're not going to even assess a tax hit at all. Hmm. Okay, and and there's a lot of reasons that we can go into. Yeah, I was going to say, for, for what reason do you... Yeah, well, it's still like, you know, if you look at what the Democratic Party's position is today, right? It's yeah. like there should be mass cancellation of at least some kind of debt, you know, yeah. for, for the most part, right? And the moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans in the Senate have actually proposed doing this 10% of your income for 20 years, but eliminating the tax hit. So that's a moderate right. Senate Republican proposal that came, that did not get out of committee, but they're the ones that proposed it in the Senate, in the higher education committee in the Senate. So that's the moderate yeah. Republican view. That's the moderate Democratic view is there should be no tax bomb. If you look at yeah. the more you know progressive wing of the Democratic Party, they want mass forgiveness just straight up. Right, right. right. Um, Elizabeth Warren wants it for people that are smaller balances. Senator uh, Sanders wants it for people of all balances. So if you kind of read the tea leaves, also you're not going to be able to collect these balances. People are not going to stand for having their homes foreclosed upon to pay a tax bomb on their forgiven student loan debt from 20 years ago. And politicians are not going to want to inflict that pain either electorally, right? Yeah. So you, yeah. you have to overlay common sense to determine whether or not this is going to be owed. The, the yeah. reality, though, is by putting a couple hundred dollars a month away, you can actually be fine no matter what happens, right? Okay. Because if the tax yeah. bomb does happen, you have the money. And if it doesn't happen, then you have extra money you can use to retire sooner. And, right. and, the, and the really groundbreaking idea is, is this. If you calculate you know, what a few hundred dollars a month is, it's basically a percentage of your income, right? And yeah. if you look at the payment you know, on your student loans as a percentage of your uh, taxable income, it, it's, it says 10%, but remember there's a deduction, right? So, so here's what it works out to be. Basically, your, your student loan payment ends up being able to be translated 
and this is really important. So I'm going to pause just to make sure people are like, oh my gosh, this is over my head. I just want yeah, to really. Yeah. <laughs> so, so your student loan payment can be five to 10% of your taxable income, right? Your taxable income. So that means yeah. what is on your tax return, not what are you earning, what is on your tax return. And then on top of that, you also have another five to 10% of your income that needs to be going away into investments so that you can cover your future tax hit if you do the 20 year loan forgiveness strategy. Right. Right. And so right. this is the groundbreaking thought. That means that I don't care what you're doing. You can translate your student loan situation into 10 to 20 percent off the top of your taxable income, regardless of what that income is. Yeah. So if yeah. I'm a photographer making thirty thousand dollars a year, I can think of three thousand to six thousand dollars being wiped off for dealing with my student loans. And I've got to live on the rest. Yeah. Right. And that is unbelievable if you really think about that, because that means that you have freedom. You're not in a debt prison. You're in a right. debt prison if you have to pay $3,000 a month and you have no choice. Well, then you've got to stay in the legal field or maximize your earnings. Right. 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 Exactly. But that's not what's going on. And people are, just, are not aware of that. So the person in the big law sector that's got that job, they actually have to think, well, actually, instead of paying down my student loans, the smart thing to do would be to get rid of all my consumer debt, like my credit card debt, to get an emergency fund, you know, yeah. down any kind of other problematic debts that I have, make sure that I have a budget that could survive on whatever I want my new income to be, and then right. quit and keep my loans in the federal system so I could pay based off of my income. And now I can, instead of having to delay my dream and my goal three to five years until I have zero debt, now I can do it immediately. Right, right. I mean, that's how I, I that sounds <laughs> like a great option compared to being, you know, basically shackled to a job that you you hate. Um, one question, just jumping back, that I that I had is when you mentioned the you know worst case scenario policy doesn't change, there is this tax bomb, and uh, if you are eligible for the insolvency where your assets don't exceed that tax burden. Is that, you know, just sort of specific to this particular tax burden? You're not saying that someone would have to file for bankruptcy in general, right? It's not, a, it's not bankruptcy. Yeah. It's not a negative yeah. credit event. It's just literally right. in the tax code. If you just type in insolvency exclusion into Google, you're yeah. going to find like in plain English with a couple paragraphs on the IRS website where it says basically any kind of debt that's treated as taxable when it's forgiven this insolvency rule applies. It's never been Price. tested for Perfect. student loans yeah. because IBR was invented in 2009. And so 2009, uh, you know, IBR is a 25-year plan. So that's the other thing we didn't talk about is there's three yeah. big plans. There's income-based repayment. That's 25 years, 15% of your income. There's revised pay-as-you-earn, which is 10% of your income for the same period, 25 years. And there's mm -hmm. pay-as-you-earn, which is 10% of your income for 20 years. So the very okay. earliest these tax bombs could hit is in the 2030s. Uh, okay. And so here's a really weird thing. So the Congress is only required to project programs for 10 years into the future. So 10 years into the future is 2030. The tax bombs for these IDR plans have not entered into the 10-year window for federal budget rules yet. So that's why right. they've created this problem without having a solution is because they actually have not been required to project this revenue where they would actually have to make a policy change to reflect what they want to have happen. I see. I see. Hmm. But, you know, I because lawyers are always just worst case scenario thinkers, I just want to be clear sort of what the worst case scenario of going this route would be for well, for the, someone. Yeah, the worst case scenario is that somebody doesn't yeah. save anything for their retirement. Right. And and so the, the way that works is we can project out that if you have about 15 percent of your income going to loans and investing. Right. So that's that's probably equivalent to you dealing with your student loans and then making maybe like a five percent retirement contribution. You're going to yeah. be working for about 30 to 40 years. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the future amount of work that you're going to have to do. Whereas if you can get that savings rate up, you know, percent of loan going to loans and investing to 30 percent of your income. So that's just, you know, a little bit more um, yeah. than you're, you're talking about cutting that working career 10 to 15 years. So yeah. a slight increase in your savings rate, and this is regardless of what student loan strategy you pick, 
a slight increase in your savings rate can literally be the difference between you retiring at 70 or retiring at 55. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's I think it's hard, particularly for people who are making so much money at these firms. It just feels like and under the weight of of the the loans, it just you feel like there's no amount of small changes you could make to actually impact your outcome that much. You know, so when you say it like that, I think I think knowing that that's true could really be a motivator for people. <laughs> yeah, well, like for the people, the big firms, what matters is your net worth. What matters is your assets minus your liabilities. It doesn't matter so much as to what amount of debt that you have. Because if we can think of your debt as not a debt, it's really a tax. And it's a yeah. tax that you're allowed to buy your way out of. How cool is that? So don't worry, yeah. if you're really struggling, you have a tax. So you don't have negative $300,000 after your name. What you really have is a commitment that the government's going to get 10 to 20% off the top in exchange for giving you a free education. That's really what it is. And then hmm. what that means is you're effectively a German citizen because Germans pay higher taxes than we do. And they still have pretty good lives, right? Yeah. And the other thing yeah. is, is like if you want to talk about super low income situations, you can actually hack the Affordable Care Act to get your health care fully covered with low deductibles if your wages are very low. So, yeah. I mean, for example, I've helped my brother do this because my brother's an actor and uh, he doesn't make yeah. a very high income <laughs> and he has some health issues. And so we helped him kind of I showed him how to like put money away to retirement to lower his taxable income to where it's basically just above um, the poverty line, right? And so that yeah. qualifies him for basically free healthcare, you know? So there's all kinds of things that you can do where, you know, the only limitation is just your anxiety. And, and don't get me wrong, like, that's right. like the millennial word, right? Of the, of the yeah. decade is anxiety. I mean, all of us have it. We did a survey where 90% of people that have six figures of student loans have debilitating anxiety from their debt, at least at some point. You know, yeah, and so that's yeah. because you feel trapped, and because you feel like you can't do what you want to do, and sometimes it's not just job stuff, right? Sometimes it's, well, I want to escape being a lawyer because I want more time to pursue my passions, or because I want more time with my kids, or I want to be able to have kids, uh, and I feel like this environment isn't conducive to that, you know? Um, yeah. Or there's all kinds of, you know, care for a ailing relative. I mean, there's go on vacation, right? Live in another country. There's yeah. All these things right. that you could do. And, and when you think about your loans as a tax, well, then your problem is actually not your loans. Your problem is your savings rate. You know, right, your problem right. is not your loans. Your problem is, is how much you spend on rent and do you have a roommate or not? And how much house did you buy as a percentage of your income? And, you know, do you have a, um, do you have a car that you haven't paid off, you know, instead of buying kind of right. more of a one that's paid off, it's 5,000 bucks you pay cash for, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that I think that people sometimes find themselves with these golden handcuffs, I call them, which is having bought themselves into a very expensive lifestyle, you know, with this high paying job that then they hate, but then they don't perceive themselves to have a lot of flexibility on the expenses side and the ability to increase their savings rate. But I think people have to understand that, yeah, you may not. Yeah, you're the way you're living may need to change, but yeah. life is full of trade-offs. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I do want to talk about the, the some of the other programs like public service yeah. and refinancing, but just real quickly about that idea. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you think about it this way, when you buy something, what you're really trading is hours of your life spent at the office. Right? Yeah. And if you don't love what you do, that's a pretty debilitating trade. Right. right? Because right. you're saying, I'm going to buy this car for $20,000. And, you know, before taxes, I got to earn $30,000 to pay for that car, right? And that $30,000, yeah. it takes me, you know, let's say two months at the office to earn that. So I'm trading yeah. two months of my life energy for this particular vehicle. Instead, I could have traded one week of my life energy, you know, for a 2011 Nissan Altima that you pay cash for that still has side airbags and safety features and things like that, right? Right, it's just right. not as nice. It might not, you know, have the, you know, feel like a nice new car or anything. So, is that car worth you spending two months at the office that you despise? And when you think right. about it in terms of trade-offs, well, then adding a roommate doesn't seem so bad, right? Because you, what you're doing is you're reducing your need to be at the office every year by three months. Yeah, 
Yeah, which adds up. So you said that you would talk a little bit about public interest. And, you know, we were talking mostly about big firm people, but then there are people who have these heavy debts but aren't bringing in the same income that um, that the big firm people are. And so, I mean, I assume that similarly they could take advantage of what you had described being uh, sort of your your new income based payment, right? But is it is the plan different for people in that situation? Well, it's actually a much better for people that are in not for profit or, or public uh, sector jobs, right? So mm-hmm. the public service loan forgiveness program is this program where you pay similarly based on your income, but you ha- only have to pay for ten years instead of for twenty to twenty five, and then also there's no tax consequences at all on the forgiven balance. It's gone without any tax implications literally you know at all so yeah so that's really cool and so like let's think about how this would work so let's say that you're you know a public defender or you're the counsel for some 501c3 that's you know very large and you're you know you have a kind of a you know a not-for-profit you're employed by that not-for-profit all you have to do is make payments while you're employed full-time at that organization and you have to submit mm-hmm. the pslf certification form with fed loan servicing every year and if you haven't already done that, you should do that, by the way, if you're listening and in that category. Um, yeah. So, so what, that hap- what happens is you basically start getting certified for this program, and then you send in the certification once a year to build a paper trail. And then at the end of a cumulative 120 months of payments, which is 10 years, and I say mm-hmm. cumulative because it's not consecutive, you can take time off and come back and pick up where you left off, right? So, uh-huh. uh, so after the end of those 120 months of payments, the debt is forgiven completely. And so there's been a little yeah. bit of, of negativity in the lawyer world about this program because a lot of people are not getting it. And, and you know, a lot of people complain like there's 99% rejection rates like, to this program. How, how do I know this even exists? And I'll tell you, yeah. why, I'll tell you why. The reason why it's going to result in lawyers getting billions of dollars of student loans forgiven is this. The Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program was made in 2007, and it only applies to federal direct loans. Well, federal direct loans only really started existing in big numbers in 2010 when President Obama mm. nationalized the student loan industry, right? Yeah. And so, um, so, so what that means is the first year people could really ever get their loans forgiven would be 10 years after that, which is 2020, right? Right. But all the right. people that were applying had the right jobs, but they didn't have the right loans. And so all these people uh, were applying, and keep in mind, the people that knew that they didn't have the right kind of loans were not applying, right? Like, in other words, yeah. there's, a, there's a selection bias there. So all these people were applying that just were not aware that they had the wrong kind of loans from before 2010, and they're all getting rejected. Mm. And then that leads uh. to this debilitating lack of confidence in the program for people that are pursuing it that wouldn't be affected by that at all. Uh, right? I see. And so there's this, then there's this huge misinformation. There's this huge confusion. Right. People are saying, oh, this program doesn't exist. Like, I'm just going to refinance, which is irreversible, Right. And so yeah. that this this is kind of I think why our business exists because of all this misinformation, water cooler talk that leads people to make a decision that costs them six figures. Uh, that, yeah, that's a terrible decision. You know, is because people are making decisions based off of hearsay and emotion and not on math. And if you like math, then you know you'll you'll get you know kind of our approach a lot quicker, right? If you don't, then you probably need somebody that that can kind of you know do the do the homework for you, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. But, but, I mean, it is really complicated because it sounds like someone who would be eligible for that now may have tried it five years ago and been rejected and probably has not gone to look to figure out that they, in fact, would be accepted. Yeah, now. It looks like some people need yeah. to actually consolidate their loans. They need to move them from this old federal loan program to the new federal program that does qualify after 2010, right? Some people right, right. do not need to consolidate. We actually had a case where this person was consolidated when she'd already made four years of payments that counted and that reset her clock. And so she was just using one of these, you know, kind of fly-by-night law firms actually in South Florida to do the consolidation and they cost her 60 grand just because they didn't have any clue what they were doing. They were just having paper paralegals just filling out consolidation applications for people, you know? So, so there's like a lot of consolidation scam places out there that their, their solution to your student loans is, okay, we're going to consolidate them with the government into one big loan and get you enrolled in an income-based repayment program. Well, that's nice, but that's kind of like saying like you're going to, you know, 
I don't know, like, I don't know what the legal analogy is, but you're just kind of like, yeah. if you use one tool that doesn't apply to most people in, in every situation for, for everything. Right. You know, that's what a lot of um, people will say. And like a lot of financial advisors that you'll talk to have no clue about this stuff. So they'll just tell you, oh, just put it on a 20-year repayment plan, right? Because that gives you the right. lowest payments on a traditional way of thinking about debt. But that doesn't take into account the fact that there's all these different paths to paying it off, including forgiveness. So for right. that person that's in that public interest job, if you're passionate about that job, then great news. You can keep doing that and have most of all your loans forgiven, right? And the yeah. people that finished law school starting in 2013 will have had direct federal student loans basically entirely unless they like right. physically signed up for you know, private loan because, again, 2010 was a start date for the direct loan program in big numbers. So, you know, three years of law school, that means, you know, 2013 is sort of your, your first time where you have all federal loans without having to have done anything special, right? And right, right. Those people from 2013 that graduated need 10 years to get it. So that means 2023 is the first date that those people will be eligible, right? So right. that's why you're seeing all these problems. It's not because something is broken. The program was horribly designed, like that's for sure. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> the thing is, is it's actually going to work fine as is. And, and another thing, people are like, oh, well, what if, you know, Trump wins re-election and then, you know, he's going to change it. Well, it's, it's actually very clear that, like, the Republicans have always put forward grandfathering in everyone that already has debt and only applying it for people starting, you know, basically uh, for future semesters, right, for their education. Okay. So that's so yeah. grandfathering there. And then if you're not passionate about your, your public interest job, let's say that you're you yeah. know, one of these folks that's a public defender and you can't stand it. <laughs> um, well, then, I mean, yeah, whether it's that job or not, I de there definitely are people who, you know, feel much like at a big firm that they can't leave their public interest job for this reason. Right, because they have the loan forgiveness in their yeah. talk, right? It's a golden handcuffs, but it's kind of like golden, I don't know, golden freedom or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Things. I don't know what you'd call it, but, um, but, but that's wrong too. And the reason for that is, remember I said the, uh, you know, that, that cost early on for the photographer is the yeah. tax bomb plus like a piddly amount of money uh, over 20 years because it's so low as a percentage of income. Yep. So if you sum all that up, maybe, maybe the total cost for that, let's say it's like, you know, let's say it's like 150,000 or something. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, and then let's say that the cost of doing the, the public service loan forgiveness program, let's say that cost is, you know, 50,000. Right. Yeah. Um, over, over 10 years. So the, the public service cost is 50,000 and the, the non public service forgiveness cost is 150. So that difference is a hundred grand, right? And right. for your listeners, yeah. um, this is this is not a scary math question, right? Um, yeah. Hundred thousand divided <laughs> by ten yep. is ten thousand a year. Yeah. Right. And so my question would be this: pretend that your public interest or public defender salary is ten thousand dollars higher, right? Mm -hmm. Is that salary worth sticking around in a job you're miserable in? Right. And the answer is probably very clearly no, right? Yeah. You're only talking about 10,000. That's not much. Now, if yeah. you're two years away, now instead of dividing by, you know, 10, you're dividing by two. And so now maybe that, that salary is more like 50 grand, you know, in which case, yeah. yeah, there's probably a lot of public defenders out there that would suck it up for an extra 50 grand of salary, right? So, right. you know, so, so there can yeah. be a, like a legit reason why you kind of feel like you're trapped and you want to stick, stick it out. So I get that. Right. But like, if you're a long ways away from public service loan forgiveness, then holy cow, like don't hold yourself back. Like take the dream. Right. It, right. Right. Because it's only like 10 grand a year in that case. And that's if you have $300,000 of student loans. That's a huge amount of debt for an attorney. Yeah. A lot of attorneys owe more than that even, but, but that's still a, an above average yeah. figure. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and the truth of those jobs is that you may be, you may be miserable in that job. It is not a particularly high paying job. So it's perfectly possible that you could go and find a different job that would pay you more than $10,000 more than you were making as a public defender. For example. Right. I mean, like, and the other yeah. thing that I find is, is in the financial independence world, like yeah. basically people have untapped human capital, human potential. When you're doing yeah. something that you love, you're going to work harder at it. Right. Right, you're going to put right. in the hours, you're going to really hustle, and it's not going to feel like work because you love it. And so for that yeah. photographer that loves being a photographer, you know, they're probably going to increase their prices over time. They're probably going to take on additional clientele that will be repeat clientele and have positive word of mouth 
because they can tell, hey, this person's not doing this for their paycheck. They're doing it because it's their passion, right? Right. And right. so yeah. what will often happen is you'll get a lot higher earnings accidentally because of pursuing a passion. So that was certainly true for, for me. I mean, you know, doing this where I'm really passionate about it, I work a lot harder and, and I, and I, um, and that kind of reflects in the, the outcomes for the business than, you know, when I'm yeah. a bond trader where it's kind of like, well, yeah, you got to work at something that you don't love. Well, you can force yourself to do something, right? But that there's a huge difference yeah. between that big law attorney that's like forcing themselves to do 80 hours a week of work that they don't like versus somebody who's right. out there hustling because they just can't get enough of it. I mean, that's such a wonderful, better place to be in your life right. to transition to that new, new opportunity, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I saw somewhere, I think on your blog that you had mentioned that, um, you know, and I think this is very true of lawyers that, that our risk aversion makes us feel like, okay, no, I've got, I, you know, I've got a plan. I've got an income I know of. I, I know what my payments on these loans are. And the safest thing I can do is just stay where I am. Now, of course, one of the downsides to that is that you're stuck. Are there any other risks of just sort of trusting that you can just stay in the same job and that will eventually lead you to a debt-free retirement ready place. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people out there that like don't hate their job, but don't love it either. Right. And yeah, they're kind of like, oh, I like my life. Like I, I don't really want to change anything. Like I just want to kind of stay where I'm at and pay a mortgage and have kids and, you know, you know, kind of just be a mom or be a dad or whatever. Like there's a lot of folks out there like yeah. that. And, uh, and so what I'd say to that is if you have a 50% savings rate, then you'll be done with work in 10 years on average. And, yeah. and the only exception for a student loan borrower is you probably need an extra one hundred to $200,000 for your tax bond on top of that figure that makes you financially independent, right? Yeah. Because you can pay based on your income. So as soon as you have that tax bond, you're, you're done in terms of having to worry about your student loans. So yeah. for, for that kind of a person, I mean, I think that... Um, yeah, you can stay in the job you're at, but but here's what I would say: like if you're going to pay your student loans down over a 20 year term, you're doing it the wrong way, you know. Because right. if you're going to take 20 years, then probably the reason you're having to take 20 years is because you don't have quite enough income to pay it off quickly. And if that's the case, yeah. then you probably need to be on an income based forgiveness option and not the one that you're doing, you know. Right. So if right. you're going to pay your debt down, you need to do it in 10 years or less. Otherwise, you might as well roll the dice with these forgiveness programs because it's probably going to work out a lot better. And yeah, in, terms yeah. of, in terms of that, you know, um, a lot of people, when they shop refinancing places, they shop the one place that partners with their employer. Yeah. Right. And that's so silly. Like, you know, if a car dealership had a partnership with your employer, would you only shop at that one car dealership? Yeah. Like they might have, I mean, they might have some good deals. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, like, you know, if it's a Toyota dealership and you're looking for a Camry, great. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but but you need to apply, you know, at least three places, and then you should get a couple things. You should get a cash bonus. So that's one thing that our site does that that others don't is is we take lower commissions so that we can give anywhere from hundred to seven hundred fifty dollars uh, as a cash bonus, kind of like when you sign up for a credit card, right? Um, yeah. Most places keep that entire referral bonus. Um, and then the other thing you should do is you should refinance multiple times. So for example, you refinance to a ten year at a five percent. So let's say let's yeah. let's do a different example. Let's say a lawyer with a hundred thousand in student loans, who has got a good income, making like eighty thousand a year, right? Um, yeah. So you have to pay a thousand a month to be done in ten years. So let's say that you're kind of feeling you know young and sacrificial. You want to be out of debt, so you're living on a lot less than eighty thousand, and so you can actually afford to pay three thousand a month on your student loans because you're living like a law student for the first couple of years. So yeah. you do that. And you pay down your loan from hundred thousand, maybe down to fifty. Well, now you can refinance again to a five-year rate. Maybe yeah. maybe go with even a variable interest rate to get the lowest rate possible, and so you go from a five percent to a two percent. Yeah. Right. So you cut your rate, and then what's your required payment? Well, it's based on a five-year term of fifty thousand in this example. So that's about a thousand a month. So your payment that's required of you really doesn't change. Doesn't change. But because yeah. you made you know, aggressive payments in those first couple of years, you cut your 10-year term down to a five-year term. And so you might have shaved, you know, two to four years off of your loan repayment without having to think that much. Right. You know, so, right. so that's, a, that's a great example because you're saving, in, you're, maybe you're starting going 7% to 5% and then you're going 5% to 2%. You can refinance that way multiple times too. So if you're 
kind of a little bit concerned about the payment. Like let's say that you're in a high cost of living area and you're having kids and you want to just lock in lower interest and maybe you'll refinance it again later. Well, that's okay to start with the 20 year in that example, you know? Right. So you start with the 20 year, it gives you a little bit lower payment and then you, you know, get the cash bonus, you pay down some of it, you know, with bonus season, maybe you throw it at the loans and then you can refinance it again to maybe a 15 or a 10 year with a, you know, a payment that's probably similar with lower rate, get another bonus, you know, rinse and repeat, yeah. right? Right, so, right. So there's like, there's really something for everybody. Like there's something for that anti-debt zealot, right? Who's like, right. <laughs> the idea of being yeah. free would be sick to their stomach, having to think about keeping debt around for 20 years. You know, that person's going to turn out yeah. fine. The only thing I'd say about that is you just want to pay as little interest as possible. And that means not falling for, you know, applying at one place, right? Or, you know, just kind of, um, you know, not thinking right. through your refinancing strategy at all, you know? Right, um, right. In other words, just buying the 30-year mortgage and just never doing anything different from that, right? Um, right, you right. Know, that's the, kind of the equivalent. And then there's this person that thinks they are stuck to that full-time not-for-profit job that isn't, right? Right. And then there's that person that thinks they need to pay back their loans, but they can never afford to pay 3000 a month, you know, with their, you know, family law practice income. And that right. needs to be on that 20-something year loan forgiveness program instead. And, um, and yeah. there's, there's ways to make this more complicated that I don't want to necessarily spend a ton of time getting yeah. into. Like, for example, when you get married, you have to yeah. face off both of your incomes unless you're filing yeah. your taxes the right way. So you can file your taxes separately and, and kind of optimize your taxes so that you pay as little as possible, right? Um, yeah. And there's yeah. also more loopholes even for, like, lawyers in California where if you have a stay-at-home spouse, then you might be able to pay based off of half of your income instead of all of your income um, because oh, of some yeah. weird rules that exist in California. So yeah. um, there's a lot of like specifics to this, but like the right. listener at the high level just needs to think like, I'm free from student loan debt. Like Even if I have this you know serious anxiety, there's absolutely yeah. no reason financially speaking with student loans that you can't do exactly what you want to do right away. Oh man, so many people are going to be happy to <laughs> have someone who knows what they're talking about tell them that. I think a lot of people just get in, they just don't believe that's true. And because, as you've said, it is quite complicated, um, it's hard to get your head around how you'd actually, you know, how that actually would become true for you. Um, but I think this has been enormously helpful and hopeful for people who feel trapped and have these huge loans. And there, I have like a thousand other questions I want to ask you, but I feel like we're going to run a little long. So I want to start wrapping up. Um, But I think that, you know, what I'm also taking away is that a people need to be really purposeful and mindful about attacking this problem. And they also have to be realistic with themselves about what their priorities are. You know, are you someone that doesn't want to carry debt? Are you okay with that? You know, are you married? Do you have kids? What what are how much flexibility do you have to increase your savings rate? And those are all going to be personal questions that each person has to kind of balance for themselves. Um, but how, if someone wanted to work with you in student loan planner, how does that work that, you know, what's your process? Yeah. I mean, like everything you need is at studentloanplanner.com, right? That's yeah. all you got to remember. Go to studentloanplanner.com. You're going to see a lot of different things there. On that homepage, there's a button that basically says like make a plan. And so you can click that if you're looking to get a personalized plan that solves whatever you're trying to solve, right? And yeah. the cost of that's a few hundred bucks. It's not thousands. It's a few hundred dollars yeah. is a one-time cost. And if you can't okay. afford that because you feel like, you know, I just, that's too much money. I have a lot of credit card debt right now or whatever. That's fine too. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of that homepage, there's literally a link that says lawyer, right? And so you can mm-hmm. go in there and you'll find on our blog that there's a lawyer category. And we have written dozens and dozens of articles on exactly how lawyers can handle their student loans that might take you a while to read. But if you're broke yeah. you can read all of those yeah. for free and <laughs> yeah. download our calculator that we use in our planning for free and you can kind of try to do the do-it-yourself approach right and if you're mm-hmm. you know a big law lawyer that owes a fraction of what you earn and you just want to refinance we've got those re- cash back refinancing links on the site too that you don't even you don't need to pay us to use those you can just go use those right yeah. so, so the yeah. planning thing is really good for somebody that doesn't mind spending a few hundred bucks to get you know that personalized help 
uh, and roadmap right. for their future in terms of how do I save the most money? Um, yeah. And so like the thing is, is people might think, well, you, you know, how do I know that this is legit? Like I would strongly encourage you to just like type student loan planner reviews and just read kind of some of the reviews on, on our business. Right. Um, don't just yeah. like, you know, take my word for it or something. Um, yeah. and then also, um, I can say this. So like the average projected savings for our lawyer clients um, is about $40,000. So yeah. the reason for that is people are filing taxes the wrong way. They're, you know, not going for refinancing the right way. They are, are not set up the right way for public service loan forgiveness. They don't have the tax bomb thing set up, but there's all kinds of ways that lawyers mess this up. And I'd say yeah. probably about nine and 10 of the people that worked with us uh, find an average of that $40,000 in savings. And, you know, probably one in 10, you know, there's really not a lot we can do for them. And, and that's why we charge yeah. kind of that flat fee, right? It's just right. so people have that predictability of what it costs. Um, yeah. So we're, I don't know, like I'm super passionate about this. If you don't use this, that's great. Yeah. Like use the free stuff, please. Because I yeah. know for 100% certain that if you have a lot of debt, student loan debt, and you're listening to this podcast, you clearly have something about your life that you're looking to make a big change for. Right. Right. And, yeah. and my big fear would be that you don't take action because there's nothing worse than sitting in a situation that you're unhappy with for years when that's totally unnecessary. Right. Like what's right. the worst thing that can happen? You have a graduate degree, right? The worst yeah. thing that can happen is you will still be above all the other people that are going to be looking for a job the next time we have the Great Depression, right? If all this right. fails, if all this doesn't work out, you're still fine. So that that's a horrible risk to take of, of years of unhappiness. Please, please make a change. You know, do it yourself or, or hire somebody like us to help you figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Travis, so much. This has been really informative. And like I said, I think it's going to give people a good dose of hope <laughs> that there are ways to manage this rather than feeling trapped. So Absolutely. There's nothing but hope when it comes to student loans. It's just people don't understand the rules. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds very complicated. So. But all right. Well, thank you, Travis, so much. Uh, I really appreciate your taking the time to, to speak with me and to the listeners. Absolutely. It's wonderful time.